Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening and welcome to Breaking the Silence, live from the most beautiful city in the country, Houston, Texas. And it is just great uh, to be with you tonight. I'm so glad you took the time to join us and we're here live. So if you want to get involved in the conversation, this is one of those programs where you can actually pick up your phone, grab your cell phone and dial 888-627-6008 and not talk to me, but talk to the guest, ask him a question, you have a comment, uh, something that we're, we talk about and discuss. If you just want to jump in on, we'd love to have you do that. And the wonderful people at the radio station at BBS will answer that phone and patch you right through to us. And we would love to have you join and just be a part of that. Where else do you get to do that? You don't get to do that when Oprah was on. You didn't get to call Oprah and talk to her. Uh, Dr. Phil still don't let you talk to him. Uh, Dr. Oz, now that he's out of the job and didn't get the job, uh, the, he was looking for an election. Uh, he may start taking phone calls, I don't know, for more income, but I don't know. But uh, just great to have you tonight. And uh, we have a fellow Texan with us this evening uh, from Austin, so I'm excited about that. I always like to start off the program with just something that I go through during the week. And you can tell by my voice a little bit that uh, that upper respiratory uh, jump that's going around is starting to affect me and my voice is getting lower and I'm starting to sound like Kenny Rogers. Uh, but, um, you know, we just experienced Halloween. And I, I believe uh, as we go into the Thanksgiving season, um, I want to kind of look back on, you know, I think we're all haunted by ghosts. Um, and you, uh, I know our guest is probably saying, what, who is this guy? But I can tell by reading her book twice this week, she was haunted by ghosts too. Ghosts of our past. The intense regret that comes from not handling something, making a mistake or something that wasn't our fault or maybe something that was our fault, doing something wrong or not being able to handle an emotion or uh, a trauma or an anxiety in our life and just ignoring it and putting it away and pretending it's going to go away. That's like me going out, I have a wallet over here, and getting a credit card and going out to uh, the local store and spending $5,000 and just maxing out that card and then ignoring all those bills that's coming in, just pretending like, those don't exist. They're not there. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have to worry about those. They're not going to affect me. I'll just forget them and they'll go away. Mm -hmm. Well, you may not 
get any more bills after about four, five, nine, ten attempts. But you're going to start getting letters that have red covers on them, pink slips inside them. And then you're going to start getting certified letters. And then you're going to start getting uh, subpoenaed uh, to a court hearing because somebody's going to want their money back. And there is ramifications for ignoring things from our past. And I think in that, on a daily basis, I'm like everybody else. I'm plagued with that coulda, woulda, shoulda. And even though I was abused all my life up to my 17th birthday, every day of my life, I still had years and years after that of, man, if I only would have done this, I should have probably done that. It was my fault. And then we start blaming blame and guilt on us, which is an absolutely uh, the most horrendous ghost of the past that literally comes in and can wreck your whole, your whole mental attic. And I also wish that I could take back some of those things that I've done, uh, take back some of those things that I said to people that's no longer in my life. I wish I could have treated my kids differently when I was raising them because I was so traumatized with what I was going through because I hadn't handled my own issues. The reality is I simply can't. Regret is a pointless practice, and it is a huge, expensive one. And the only thing in our possession right now is the present. Right now. I'm not promised tomorrow. All I have is now. And in that, yesterday never will be again. Tomorrow may never come. But what I do with my life right now makes a difference. And that's why I honestly feel that these 50, 55 minutes of me getting new friends around the country that are the best authors uh, that this world has uh, created, and they share their stories and their scenarios and their own traumas, that that is, in my world, the best thing that I can do. And hopefully it's the best thing that our guests can do tonight, too, by sharing some intimate, hurtful, traumatized things of their past to be able to help you deal with what you may have gone through that you've never even uh, opened up that's been a mailbox in your emotional brain uh, full and crammed with letters saying, hey, open me, read me, we need to deal with this. And life is kind of like a painting. Brush strokes, lots of different brush strokes, some big, some wide, some small, some really smooth. And every moment in our life is a brush stroke. And there's very little that you can do once that paint is actually on the canvas. And the skill that you can develop slowly is filter out the best from each moment that you have in life and allow the rest of it to disappear, to fade away, to make a conscious decision to choose. And in the title of our, all, our guest tonight's book is right there. And, and we're going to get to that here just in a second. But it's just so important to live in the moment. Yeah, it's a cliche, but it's true. 
These moments are gifts that we squander away while we focus on the ones that have already passed. And then we miss the ones that are right in front of us, hoping to get more in the future. And I really think that we need to start enjoying the little things in life because one day we're going to look back and really realize those were the big things. Those were the things that really matter. So tonight, if you would, maybe just this coming week, as we go into the Thanksgiving season, we got a couple more weeks to go before that. Start let, letting go of the past a little bit more. It can be scary, but it's also liberating. Claiming it's not uh, easy. It's not going to be. But try to free yourself from the past so you can enjoy the gift of the present. And I want to promise you something. You deserve it. You've earned it. You're worthy of it. Now take a deep breath and enjoy where you're at right now and move and enjoy and focus and prosper from where we are from this day forward. Now tonight, the author of the book, Choosing Survival. I think it's such a... A young age of three years old, she was dancing and performing and cheering with cheerleaders, probably from her grade school or high school, from her sister or brother, I don't know. But they were out there on the court dancing with the pom-poms. I could just see her at three years old. And then she got into high school. She went to performing arts school, high school. And then she went on to get honors in the University of Florida. She got all these different accolades of being a writer and a producer and a director and uh, even an actress with an agent. And she she started in a couple short uh, movies, films. And um, now she uses this art in helping people heal. The author of Choosing Survival, How I Endured a Brutal Attack and a Lifetime of Trauma Through the Power of Action, choice, and self-expression. I am proud and honored to welcome to our program tonight, Lynn Forney. Lynn, can you hear me this evening? I can. Thank you so hey, much for good having evening. Me. <laughs> How are you? I'm thrilled to be here and a little bit emotional now. <laughs> well, I, tell you, I, I am overwhelmed and I, I, I always read the books. Uh, I, I don't do I, I don't have a list of questions, but I just read the book to find out more about it. I can't even fathom because we're going to get into the story real quick. But I want to, first of all, find out how long did it take you to write the book and what prompted you to say now is the time that I need to let the world know what happened to me that is so horrific that people need to get right on nine, nine right now and tell people, hey, you want to listen to this? This next 40 minutes is going to knock your socks off. What got you motivated that, hey, now's the time to start putting this book down in written form? It's an interesting question how I got here. I started taking voice lessons during the pandemic, um, which is something, you know, I kind of thought about and I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll try this because clearly my performing arts, you know, life had kind of been put on hold. And she happened to also have a coaching group. 
And so I joined that and something just kind of inside of me is like, you know, I'm going to, I wrote this poem and I think I'm just going to share it with this little kind of coaching container. And that kind of catapulted me to writing this book, like making that commitment. Like I'm going to write this book now. I've been thinking about it, you know, kind of somewhere in the back of my mind for 20 years now. And I'm like, this is the time. And I'm just, again, like you said, I just made the choice and I just decided I'm going to do it. So how long, how many years had gone between the time that the event happened to the time that the book is out? And I guess the book just came out uh, this year. It did. Uh, Yeah. Uh, The event happened in 1998. So a lot. Yeah. We're talking 30 some years. uh, Yeah. 20 something. 98. That's 12 plus 22. Yeah. Wow. Oh, oh, 98. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, A little Mm -hmm. over 20 years. Okay. Um. Had you told anybody about the experience besides obviously the people that had to know the police and everybody that was involved in the investigation and things of that order? Yeah. You know, throughout my life, like sometimes, it, I, you know how you meet people, you just kind of tell them your life story. It's just, they yeah. just naturally have that, that thing about them. And so it would come out naturally with some people, other people have known me for years and had no idea this happened. So um, I'd certainly told people. And when I started getting more into like all the details, I would just be like, I should just write a book. I know this is just wild. There's so much to this. I just write it. I should just write a book. Right. And so like, and that's what I mean. Like it, it's always kind of been floating around as an idea to do it. I, I, didn't know I would actually put pen to paper, to be honest, you know, 10, 20 years ago, but here I am. And uh... has <laughs> your friends, your inner circle, uh, your family been supportive of this and the way that you uh, came out with courage and extreme? Uh, yeah, yeah, so they've been all encouraging of you. Yeah, I have a few friends that I'll admit haven't read it yet because they're kind of. I'm very emotionally invested and they've kind of admitted that to me. And I don't, you know, I'm not kind of knocking on their door like, Hey, have you read it? Have you read it? Have you read it? <laughs> Cause everyone's going to do it in their own time. So yeah. it's interesting to see some people read it immediately. Some people are still kind of waiting on it because they know it's going to be a big um, emotional investment for them. So everyone's kind of taking their time or like I said, have read it immediately. Um, so it's been a different reaction from different people. And I'm thrilled with all the support I've gotten, honestly. Uh, hold, hold your book up. I got it in a PDF form and I want to make sure people can actually see it. Choosing is a beautiful book. Um, and uh, you can get that right now on Amazon and uh, probably all the other outlets that you can get books, uh, good books on. And I recommend everybody write this down. Lynn Forney uh, in Amazon. You can go right now. I, I was just there a while ago and saw it there and uh, scroll through the first couple pages there. And you can see the back cover there and all kinds of other things. Um, and there she is. Uh, but that, that's just an awesome book. And I, I think if you had to pick a group of people that you would really hope would pick this book up and grab it off the shelf and go, hey, wait, I may be interested in this. Who would those people be that you want to actually have? If you could actually magically put this in the hands of a group of people, what group would it be? I think it's anyone that feels um, a lot of shame or embarrassment or a very alone. I think a lot of us, when we go through something, we, we feel alone, like this, like we're the only person that's experienced this or we're embarrassed or ashamed to share our story. And there's so much healing in sharing, like you were saying earlier. And I think that would be the, the people that I would want to pick it up the most, the people that really need um, some support to share their own story, right? Because that's, to me, being more vulnerable with each other and, and sharing is how we heal and realizing we're not alone. 
Yeah. So much in common. I think we have so much more in common than we don't. And we just don't think or realize that we do. And so until we're actually willing to open up and, and kind of, you know, get to the nitty gritty, so to speak, is when we can really um, be more vulnerable and honest with each other and, and connect. Did you find that because in, in my case, I was abused by my, my father and then his friends and then a whole bunch of his friends for several uh-huh. years, um, even though some of them were in the uh, the the police world, the the lawyer world, uh, the, the important people, VIP world. Uh, yours has a different and maybe more layers to it as mine because you felt like you were even looked down upon and neglected and harmed by those very institutions that mm-hmm. should have been supporting and uplifting you and helping you. Did that add extra layers uh, to the pain of what you were going through? A million percent. Yes. I, I, I think I say in my book at some point, it's like, what was worse getting attacked or actually not being believed. And I still feel oh. that way to this day. Like what, what, what is worse to me? And I, I I'm almost going to go with not being believed. I think I had more pain and trauma from even having to explain myself or try to prove that this happened to me in some way. That was in, in a lot of ways, the worst part. If you wouldn't mind, and I, I don't want to let all the the book out tonight because I want people to buy it because it's it's a worthy read. It's worth every penny that it costs. I promise you that. Um, what happened? What age were you? How did this happen? And if you would just nutshell us for us, because people don't know what we're even talking about yet for this survival. The, well, probably I can't even imagine one of the most traumatic things that ever could happen to a, a young woman. Tell us your story. Sure. Um, I was a dance major in college. I was visiting my mom in between the spring and summer semesters. So I was home for like a few days and a drugstore would let me work, you know, here and there when I was home. And then I went to the mall to pick up like a Mother's Day gift for my mom. Like I remember all these things. Right. And um, I went to sleep and I woke up with a man in my bed who I don't know. I did not know. My mother doesn't know. Like we there was no you know, we don't know him at all. And um I feel kind of like deep down that he was going to rape me first. He did not, however, because I started screaming and flailing and I felt this really hard jab at my side. And I can't, I can't explain how I knew, but I just knew I was getting stabbed. I just knew it. And I just kept screaming and flailing. And um, all of a sudden he ran out. I looked down and blood was just pouring everywhere all over the floor out, out from my body. And I just looked up and I was yelling, you know, mom, nine one one, mom, nine one one. I was 21 years old. You know, and you think that's like, you know, kind of your heyday, right, of life. It's like, I'm supposed to be having all this fun and like carefree living. And that's, you know, to have to deal with that at such a young age was. So you're in bed Mm -hmm. under the covers. Mm -hmm. Did this man slide under the covers with you and was snuggling you or was he standing by your bed looking down upon you? He was. How did that all happen? Yeah, I sleep on my stomach, which is like not great for your back, but I sleep on my stomach and. I literally woke up being pulled up. So his hands were basically underneath my breast and like pulling me up to a sitting position. And he was sitting next to me. So when I looked, he was there and he said, don't worry, I'm a friend of your mother's, which I know is, you know, and these very quick thoughts of like, oh, did some, did she, is this her friend? Did she know this person? You know, it was just these rapid thoughts. And then suddenly I was like, no, this is, this is not my mom's friend. We don't know this person. And um, I think it was just his way of trying to calm me down or, 
make me think maybe my mom's in trouble. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea, but that's what he said to me. And I just immediately started like screaming and flailing like this and like, you know, just jabbing, you know, kind of my feet were going up and down. And so we were both, he was basically just sitting next to me in the bed. So the original intent, obviously he was in your room, <laughs> in your bed, and he had a knife. Yes. What do you think the original intent was for what he had in mind for the duration of the evening when he whispered in your ear, I'm a friend of your mom's. Yeah. I think it was to rape and kill me. That is, you know, that's the only thing, you know, I I obviously haven't asked him. I don't know, but that's what I've always kind of felt to be true. And there was just a reaction that you just automatically went from here to here, which is obviously uh, the most common response, screaming, yelling, and probably saved Mm -hmm. your life. Although you almost lost it. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like I should have died. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly how I lived through it or sometimes why even, but like you were saying earlier, I made that choice. I do feel like I made a choice to live, to survive through this. And and so now what is, how do I choose to move forward from it? You know, how, how do I choose to heal? How do I choose to help others who have gone through something even, you know, even if it's not similar, but has, have been traumatized, you know, but yeah, it, I, I mean, I'm stabbed seven times and I think, you know, being so young and being a dance major, I was very strong and very fit. I do think that helped as well. Um, but I think it was literally my, like, just, I persevered and I, you know, I don't know. I, it's, that's the only way I know how to describe it as I just. So, so he ran out of the house immediately after he stabbed you? Yeah. And it's always been a, a mystery of how he even got in. My mom had, my mom was single at the time and she did go out. Um, I had gotten home earlier than her. <laughs> Get at 21, you're like, I'm the one that's supposed to be going out. But anyways, she had come home later. And um, I, th- I think, you know, he came in under the garage um, because his MO was to kind of st- stake the house out and kind of like, you know, wait for his his time to make his move. So when the police got there, the garage door was open. The, the door leading out of the garage to the outside was open and the garage le- coming, the door leading from the garage into the house were, was open. So all three of those doors was open when the, were open when the police showed up. So what do you remember or recall? Because I, I have a feeling, uh, being traumatized by my own self, that you remember everything as if it happened yesterday. Yes. A lot of I, people I, don't have to really go back and say, okay, now what did he really say? Oh, no, you you play that over and over and over. That's ooh. one of those uh, endless cycle things that you hear. What did you end up doing after he ran out? Did you crawl out of bed? Was you able to move? Was you completely, he had us be gushing blood uh, from your body after seven stab wounds. I literally stood like he, I I watched him run out. I stood up and I looked down and like I said, blood was pouring everywhere. And the next time I looked up, my mom was coming into the room because our, our, in her house, our bedrooms were side by side essentially. And, um, and at that point I just looked at her like a man stabbed me, a man stabbed me, call 911. And I was just yelling at her to call 911. And she was, you know, half asleep. It was in the middle of the night. And, um, she kind of went back into her room to try to call the police. The phone was taken off the hook. So she ran into like the living area to find the other phone. And I had been talking on the floor the night before to a friend of mine. And I just looked down. I saw the phone. I just, I just like literally just kind of like flayed down on the floor and just grabbed the phone because I just knew that if, the, if I can't get an ambulance here, I'm going to die. So in that moment, I was like, I'm going to do everything I can in my power, whether I have to crawl to the phone or whatever to get the ambulance here. And so I just kind of like laid down and, and picked up the receiver and she was talking to the dispatcher at that point. And did you eventually uh, pass out because of the, the lack got, of blood? I got very close. Um, I 
almost passed out in the ambulance. They were kind of like, I couldn't open my eyes anymore, but I just kept telling them I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm awake. But I'm, I do remember at one point kind of starting to pass out and they're like, no, no, Lynn, no. And I was like, oh, I'm here. I'm here. So it was just also me like just kind of trying to stay awake and stay with them. And because again, if you pass out, right, you're more likely to not wake back up. So, right. um, yeah. And so you I lost 21 pints. That's the that estimate. Right? Yeah. The estimate between like how much I lost at home because they were giving me fluids in the ambulance that were also coming back out and they were giving me more. And then when I got to the hospital, they also were giving me blood at that point, which then I started losing more because one of my stab wounds opened up and I started bleeding everywhere again. You know, so it's, it's, it's always an estimate, right? It's not a controlled situation, but that's right. always the number that I was told. Yeah. So. How long were you treated in the hospital before you got to be released? Close to, not quite three weeks. It was about two and a half weeks, which thinking back is still wild to me. And I do remember asking to leave. I was like, can I leave now? I was just so ready to go. So yeah. like, yeah. I, I probably could have, maybe should have stayed a few extra days, but it was about two and a half weeks, which is kind of mind blowing to think back that, I don't know, that I got out that quickly, to be honest. Okay. Now we just heard this unbelievably traumatic event. When we get back from this first commercial, our only commercial break, we're only going to take one tonight. When we get back from the commercial break, I want to find out what traumatized you to what you just said a few minutes ago, even more than somebody stabbing you seven times laying next to you in bed Mm -hmm. by people that should be there to protect you and believe you. And we're going to find out more about that on the other side of this first commercial break, 888-627-6008. We'll be right back with Lynn Forney, the author of Choosing Survival. We'll be right back. HCI Publishing, that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. We are here with the uh, author, Lynn Forney of Choosing Survival. And we have several comments on the Facebook page uh, that my son is running out of Seattle, Washington, that uh, from Empower Survivals, Survivors, um, they can relate to this so much. They love the title of your book. Uh, they uh, thank you for sharing your story that you're a remarkable woman. So thank you for those comments. If you want to get involved, 888-627-6008. Now, Lynn, when... You know, after telling that story, I, I would imagine that still 
makes your heart race a little bit. It's just trying to, um, you never get over it. You just learn how to deal with it in a different way. Um, but the trauma afterwards, try to explain to me the asininity, and I don't even know if that's a word, of these professionals and the way they treated you. And what did that make you feel like? Tell the rest of that story now. Uh, I, it's hard to even describe the words, how yeah. it made me feel. I mean, it, I, I was at first kind of shocked, to be honest. Like, I lived through this horrible thing and I, I'm, I'm alive. How can you think that I, because I was accused of doing doing it to myself, which to me, like, if you look at the facts, like, I, I don't know, it's just ridiculous to me. Um and uh, confused and then just horrified and angry and uh, completely let down. And I, I, I could probably go on and on with as many adjectives. What community were you in? Was you in at I was the in Boca, Rat- Boca Raton, Florida. Okay. Were they trying to be overprotective of their crime stats? Yes. Of, okay. So they wanted there to be a crime-free city and publicity mm-hmm. like this is bad for us. Absolutely. And um, in this bizarre way, I'm thankful that I did find, you know, because I was told that by um, it's weird because the the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department, like my mom knew someone in that department, but I was handled by the Boca Raton police because we were within the city limits. And he told me this. He, you know, that person told us this and it sounds unbelievable. And I I found an article that Janet Reno launched an investigation into the Boca Raton Police Department um, because they were had been covering up crimes for years. For years. And it's just disgusting is the best way I can say it. It's disgusting. So you didn't get any support from anybody in the police field whatsoever? I mean, I got some from my mom's friend, but again, he had no control in the case itself because he wasn't in the department that was handling mine. But no, I had to take a lie detector test, which um, I still will. I can feel myself getting angry just thinking about it. I wanted to pick up that lie detector test and like throw it across the room. <laughs> I mean, I, I still do. It's like that was the most insulting thing I, I think I'd ever had to do. I, and they kept trying to convince me like this is how people do this to themselves. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, no, I, you know, like it's just bizarre to me how I could be treated that way. And, and what uh, kind how- of questions do they ask you on this lie detector test that they was thinking they're hoping to catch you uh, to hook you? did you stab yourself or did you do this to yourself? And, you know, the guy even told me like, well, there was a little bit of a response to that question. He didn't say I was lying, but I was like, you think that makes me irate. I just can't even tell you how much anger was just bubbling up inside of me when that question is asked. I mean, you know, so it's kind of like, so again, it wasn't showing I was lying at all because I wasn't, but it was just, I had such an incredible, because they of course tell you like, is your name Lynn? You know, do you live here? You know, those kinds of things. So you're calm throughout those questions. And then all of a sudden it's like, did you stab yourself? And I was like, no, you know, so of course I'm gonna have an emotional reaction to it. And that, I mean, that definitely, I don't know. That's, that's a hard memory for me. And, and on your torso, on your body, where were these stabs actually at? One of them is here. So I don't oh know why. how to do that. Yes, so, so it I, is. Yeah. So this is from the surgery because all of my tendons were cut here. Um, I have like a couple more superficial, like what my ear was cut, the back of my neck. Um, my The left side of my leg was stabbed through. So I um, had, my perineal nerve was severed. I don't know if you think how any medical people, but um, yeah. and then I have three in my torso. So I had one in my back, one underneath my ribs here, and then one in kind of on the side of my stomach. 
No, I'm, I'm not. I'm in the medical field. I'm not in the, uh, the police field. I can't imagine how a police officer would think, OK, you're going to stab yourself in the back. Right. Um, now, one time I could understand one stab, but after one, I wouldn't be stabbing myself six more times. No. Uh, and That's I, unbelievable. I, yeah. And I would even jo- I, not joke, but I was just like, th- I, like, this is not how you end your life. This is not it. You know, I it, it just was so just honestly just stupid. I was like, I cannot believe you're still trying to convince me or convince anyone else that this is what I did to myself somehow. I mean, it was just outrageous. From the other side of this perspective of the medical side, the medical field, how did they treat you during this? So the surgeons that were in the room with me, a few of them were very supportive. And and um, the ER doctor that was you know basically saving my life, essentially, um, he told my father later, and my father died a few years after this attack, actually, but he told my dad, he's like, the only reason she's here is because she wanted to be, you know, and he, so he never believed that or thought that at all. But like um, the way I was treated by the psychiatrist was atrocious. Um, some of the nurses were very, not very sympathetic at all. I will say they definitely, um, you know, I, I remember one of the, the nurses, I was in um, my own room in the ICU, which was meant for pe- uh, pediatrics. Um, and, but then I was there for a week. Um, I was on life support for, I think about five days. And then she's like, well, we need to give this room to someone who really needs it, who deserves it. She literally, she used that word deserves it. And like you said, there are certain phrases that are, that are definitely singed in my mind that I will never forget. And I was just, I just looked at her like, what? Like, so, so in the long run, when you look back on this, how did you have the courage to choose survival. How did you have that? Where did that come from inside of you? I've always had a hard time explaining that to some degree because I, I I think I was born with it in some way, but you know, cause I, I do have this like feisty kind of side. Uh-huh. Um, but I just, again, I just, I think being in the hospital, one thing it did prove to me was how strong I really am. And I think how strong all of us are. Um, and I was just kind of like determined to get back to dancing. And the the wound in my leg took a year to heal. It's still not ever going to be how it was before because my nerve was completely severed. And when that happens, it's never going to get, you know, full mobility, if you will. But um, I was like, I'm not going to let this change my life. I'm not going to let this man and what he did to me end my life as I know it. I'm, I'm going to still go back to school. I'm going to finish my degree. I'm going to still be a dancer. I'm going to just, I'm I'm not going to let this event define my life. And I just, I just remember that plain as day. Like I just made that decision and I stuck with it. Yeah. And it's not always easy. There are definitely some days that I, you know, that's been harder than others, but I do remember thinking that and feeling that way. So when you're going down life's path and then all of a sudden there's a detour mm-hmm. that is happens in the middle of the night from a stranger you never knew and never did find out about apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get back on the road and not allow or do allow that deter to overwhelmingly affect the destination now of where you're headed? Help me um, understand where you, you're coming up in your mind with that. I, um, I like I said, I was like, I'm just going to go back to school. I went back to school. This happened to me in May. I was back in school by August, which I think, again, now as a you know a, a, an older adult, uh, I, I find that incredible. I'm like, 
wow, like I did that, you know, but it's, I just, I, again, I just kind of went back to school and I had some very terrible days where I would just sob and feel like I wanted to give up. And because I had to wear a brace on my leg for close to a year. Um, I had wonderful friends. I had amazing professors at the time that were extremely supportive of me. So um, having that was truly very helpful. Um, And I think even now I'm like, you know, if I have something that's disappointing, I'm going to let myself, you know, get upset and kind of mope about it or whatever. But then a few days later, I'm like, okay, time to move forward and, and keep going. And that's, um, that's the best way I can describe it. It's again, it's like giving yourself the time to grieve in some ways, but then just, all right, now, what am I going to do? What different path, like what angle can I take now? Maybe I couldn't take this exact angle exactly, but what happens if I take this one? And I'm, I have a very curious mind, you know, so I'm like, what can I create with a brace on my leg? I'm just going to take this court, you know, this, I'm still going to take my choreography class, you know, and I just didn't let it, like I said, I had my days, trust me, that I was, um, you know, I was like, why, why, you know, why did I go through this? Why did I live through this? You know, but I, I just never let it fully take over. Yes, that's a great question. Why did you live through this? Why do you think you experienced this? And now that you wrote the book, does this take a different look at what you may do with some of the rest of your life down the road of helping other people with this? Did you ever think you would be in that realm of helping others in this type of impact? Yeah, I I'll say no. I, you know, I, I always hope that, you know, maybe day to day we all help people and, and maybe we're not even aware of it, you know, just a smile or a thank you or whatever can, can change someone's day a little bit. But, um, I always hoped that I would be able to transform this, if you will, into something more positive. I just didn't know what or exactly how it would be. Um, and I, I write a lot in the book of like, why am I writing this book? Like, what is the purpose? Because it's not like, look at me, I'm so amazing, right? That's not, I definitely didn't want that. It was, but it was more like, what can I do with this? I can choose to be angry and bitter for the rest of my life and feel like my life's unfair and forget it. And I'm just going to be, you know, miserable, or I'm going to take this experience and try to help someone else with it. Even if it's one person, you know, it's, that's what I can do with it. Um, and the, I way str- my phone, the way my phone's yeah. going off the off the radar tonight, you're helping more than one person. I hope so. Because I'm getting comments and just over and over and over and over and over oh. of people that's saying this is unbelievable. I needed to hear this. How did she have the courage? How did she have that power, that strength to be able to keep on keeping on? And how did you make it through it? Because this has to mess up. I always use the I'm, I'm, I'm an old Southern boy, you know. Gets in your attic and kicks some shingles loose up here. How did you? How do you get through those good days and bad days when there's days that this still affects you, or does it still? Oh, oh, yeah, it does. Absolutely. I have scars all over my body. Right, I was opened basically from the bottom of my sternum to the tip of my pubic bone. I mean, my whole torso was opened up, and so I can't help but think about it every time I look at myself in the mirror or every time or every time like my toes don't quite lift as much as they used to or you know anytime my balance is a little bit affected on my left side you know because I, I I mean it's it's always crossing my mind but um I just don't let myself dwell in it I guess and like you said probably one of my um go-tos is avoidance for sure like I don't need to think about I'll just go over here and not think about that stuff that here, work? You know? uh, not always great no like you have no. to deal with it right just like you were saying that's so true um 
gosh, I, I guess I think it was almost like me being um, defiant to this man that he made a choice to try to end my life or ruin my life or whatever he wanted to do. And I was like, I'm not going to let him. I'm just not going to let him. The end. I mean, yeah. I know that's simple and it doesn't like give someone like a step-by-step instruction of like, I, I did it this way, but I just, every time I would want to kind of slip in because I, I suffer with depression too. And I wrote that in the book and I suffered with it before this happened to me. And that was another reason why the police were so quickly and easily able to go into like, oh, well, she did it to herself. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I want to be honest about that too. And I still, I still have to be aware of it. You know, because I'll, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm maybe not doing, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of slipping into the depression a little bit, but again, it's being aware and it's being honest with myself um, and kind of looking to help, like, you know, telling my husband, like, I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit depressed. He's like, yeah, I agree. You know? And so it's kind of being open and being willing to admit to myself as well as my support system around me that like, yeah, I think I need to shift a little bit. Right. But it's always kind of, again, that defiant streak of like, I'm not going to let this guy do this to me or change my life or ruin my life. I think I went in circles in this uh, response. I'm sorry. But... No, no, no. Did they, they never, they never caught the man. So he, um, two years after my attack, he, so again, they, I, he, to be very clear, he was never charged with my crime. So I can't say that he was, you know, convicted of my crime because I could never positively ID him because my room was almost pitch black, right? It was like, 2 30 in the morning or so and I had like one little beam of moonlight and so I had an idea kind of like like maybe how tall he was this kind of stuff but I just could not look at his face and be like yes this is him um but he was caught a couple of years later because he was um trying to rape a 17 year old girl in her apartment complex like laundry machine area so very bright very well lit and she um thank god got away and he did something similar to another young woman and they both were able to very positively ID him and so he's serving sentences for their crimes. Um, and it's just, you know, again, it's kind of the MO. It's like those horrible attacks to many women stopped after he went to jail. So from your point of view, that was the one that attacked you as well. You know, I kind of, again, there's that little part of me, like, what if this isn't the right person, but I kind of have to believe it is. Um, because again, I would drive myself crazy, yeah. like constantly wondering and thinking like, is this him? Is Was it him? I, you just have to move forward, like you were saying, right? And and live my life as best I can. If there's people listening, there's obviously are a lot of people that have gone through something similar, uh, not necessarily the same characteristics or the same event, but what happened at the Astroworld right across the street here, uh, where I've counseled people that have watched their loved ones being trampled to death right in front of them in a mass crowd how and what would you say to people that have gone through traumatic events like you went through what's some of the things that helped you what got you going from day to day over and through those dark days through those depressed days through those stormy cloud days what did you lean to that got you to the next morning Help these other people. Sure. Um, sometimes for me, I'm very creative. So it could be writing a poem. It oh. could be thinking of, you know, something I want to choreograph eventually. Um, it could be just literally as simple as turning on a comedy that I love, like a movie that I've loved since I was a little girl. And just I can I can somehow bring some laughter and light into my life or my day. Um, again, talking to other people, I think, is just so incredibly powerful. Um, 
I, I'm a big believer in therapy. I think that's a huge um, help for anyone. What therapy who- worked for you? EMDR was the most powerful therapy. Yes. Um, It's very difficult. Um, I didn't do that until about 10 years ago, I would say. And, um, but it really opened up. The best way I can describe it, honestly, is you feel like your brains are kind of scrambled and thrown everywhere and you kind of have to put them back together. So it's a really difficult process, but I came through it so much stronger and had so much more self-awareness and tools that, you know, when my, you know, all of our brains do this, right? They start chat, chitter chattering and telling us really, you know, negative things. And it's kind of like, no, I understand that this is not really me or like my depression is not me. It's a part of me, but it's not who I really am. And again, it's like, I'm not going, I'm just not willing to give up. I mean, that's literally the the best way I can describe it. Just not the willingness not to give up. And I don't think I knew this or thought about this at, you know, 20 years ago, but the, the darkness that we see allows us to see that much more light. Wow. And I think that's so important to remember on those really dark days. It's like, this allows me to see this much more light that perhaps other people can't see because they haven't experienced that deep darkness. That's that's deep. I mean, that that's really deep when you really think about that. Mm-hmm. that that's even hard to even comprehend. Uh, how how much did the arts play in your healing? Because I, obviously you do that still today. Mm-hmm. And do you use that as a tool for people uh, to heal their own hurts? I do. Um, an interesting experience. I was living in New Orleans um, and I performed this piece in 2019. So it wasn't like that long ago, but part of me is like, it was kind of a long time ago. But um, I experienced some PTSD symptoms probably stronger that year than I had previously. I didn't think that I had as much trauma, like kind of lingering. And this is after the EMDR therapy and all this stuff that I'd done. It, it kind of took me by surprise, but I got triggered really intensely. And I just... I literally, I was going, I was on my way to um, a dance rehearsal and these two men were punching each other in the street and I kind of just didn't know what to do. And I'm like, do I call the cops? Do I get out? I don't know. It just, it just really shook me. And eventually the fight broke up and I went to dance class and then I kept felt guilty for like, should I have helped more? Should I have intervened? You know, that, that start, that kind of started going through my brain. And then all of a sudden I was just shaking and I just didn't. I had all the, I don't know. I just didn't know what to do. And I just could feel everything in my body just shutting down. And I had to go in the bathroom and I cried and shook and sobbed for an hour straight, an entire hour. And I, and I just, you know, logically I knew I was safe. I'm in this studio. Like nothing is going to harm me in this moment, but my body had a different reaction or a different knowledge at that moment. And that was really confusing, I guess, in some ways, since that that hadn't happened and why that event triggered me to that degree. I'm not even sure today, but what, again, what I decided to do was I took that experience and I created um, a solo piece called um, Please No Trigger Seldom Discriminate to highlight the PTSD. And my hope in that, it was an intense piece. It was not a light at all, but my hope was that someone else that needed to feel what I could convey in that moment could heal in in a way through that, through watching me kind of just spill that all out on the dance, you know, on the, on the dance floor, so to speak. And um, there's just so much power in, in the arts, whether it is writing or singing or, you know, art, you know, visual arts or anything like that. It's just, it, it, it's a, um, it's a, a form of communication that's just different. It's just a different way that can can get to us in, 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 a, in a unique, special way 
you know, do you find that the, that power comes through even more, uh, broadcast even more uh, heartfelt when it is about something as personal as this? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I can't hide it. And you know, dance has always come naturally to me, and and probably more so than speaking about it, because sometimes there just aren't the words for me. Um, but somehow, like my body knew, I don't know how to express it in the way that I needed to, and um. It's just so pure. I think there's just something really pure about it because words aren't needed. And I think there's something about this energetic exchange that happens too in those performing art moments, especially. But even if someone looks at your painting, there is some kind of energetic thing that happens where you can feel something that perhaps you haven't felt before, or it highlights something and brings something to the surface that maybe has been kind of, you know, hiding in there that you weren't even aware of. And it's like bringing that to the surface, bringing it to the light helps you see it. And then kind of, you know, experience it a little bit differently and then uh, move through it. Yeah, I mean, I, I sit here and play the piano sometimes. Yeah, like, like, oh, and music does that for me. I mean, I, I when you feel it and you can just yeah. literally pour yourself. I, I can't dance, but I can imagine the the power of dancing uh, and expressing yourself in that way would just be a tremendous healing. Yeah. And even if you haven't been, you know, classically trained, it's sort of like, it's still, there's something about movement that's just, it's so inherent to us as human beings. And I think, you know, we've kind of moved away from it. The more like technology comes about and, you know, all the, I don't know, education or whatever it is that like people just, or they feel embarrassed to dance because they feel like they can't, but something about movement, I think is really powerful and really is healing just like music, right? It touches us in a way that maybe words don't or, um, listening to a podcast don't I don't know but it's like there's just so many ways to uh express things and to receive information and to kind of have this this gift of energy exchange with, with each other and it's it's not always verbal right did uh did journaling have any effect with you did you do you journal did that I help don't. you at all I mean, I do some a little bit, but not as much as I kind of wish I had done more, honestly. So like I did, you know, I would start kind of journaling and then I would just kind of like, I don't know, get distracted or I don't know, busy doing something else. So I, I think it's amazing to have a journal practice. Um, I don't have a very strong <laughs> self, which is weird, I guess. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And I hope other people do it more than me. <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have just a couple of minutes. Um if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, first of all, they want to get the book, put the book back up on the screen, if you could, for me and let people see this. And what's the best way, Lynn, in your opinion, to get their hands on this book? Uh, right now, it is not available on Amazon. I'm looking to expand the uh, you know marketplace for it, um, but it is on Amazon. And um, you can email me at choosingsurvival at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to me personally. And um, I do have a website. I need to like develop it more, but it's lynnforney.com. And um, yeah, I, I would love for to hear from people or if they have questions or comments, but definitely Amazon right now is the main way to get my book. And, and if I may put a, a plug in, when you get the book and you read the book, go and put a review about the book there. Uh, please do that. I beg, borrow, steal people trying to get them to do that for me. <laughs> And it's and they and they always promise everybody that buys a book and I've sold hundreds of thousands of copies of them and they'll say oh yeah I'll do it as soon as I read it I'll promise they never do but if you would do that that would be so much uh, of an impact and on your page if there's a like if there's a follow if there's a subscribe 
do that also because all those ag algorithms, algorithms, whatever they call it, makes all the difference in the world, especially in Amazon world, mm -hmm. uh, where it comes up and uh, you get on a higher list and that gets you in front of more people to where you can get more books out there. So please do that for, yes. for um, Lynn, if you would. Uh, that would be a, a big benefit. On the last minute or two that we have, Lynn, I always like to end on hope. And uh, how and what would you offer that last piece of advice of somebody that don't think they can make it through tonight? Um, that, yeah, you have a horrible story, but if you only knew this person's, and you can, that's the way we played in them, oh, if they only knew what I've gone through. Right. What do you recommend, first thing that they need to do, uh, to stop and help the pain to begin healing? What do you believe would be some good advice that you want to leave with our listeners tonight about hope? I think it's as simple as opening up to each other. Sorry, I don't know if that's my mic, but um, talking about it, opening up, I, I and that's, I think, why I ended up writing this book, right? Because I could, I could live in the shadows and be ashamed of it and feel like no one's going to ever understand me or I'm going to be shunned in some way because I, we have a very, very deep fear, I think all of us do, of that because of how our brains function. But it's it's just trusting that you're going to find other people that can relate in some way that you can open up to each other and find this incredible connection, which is healing in and of itself. And then um, create that kind of healing exchange. Again, it's, I, I don't know, it's so much energy, right? That we, we exchange all the time, every day, every second that we're not even aware of. And yeah. I really, I just can't stress that enough. It's like, again, it's making that choice that I'm going to choose to do something about this. That's maybe a little bit different. Maybe it's scary because that is unknown, but there is a better way to deal with this. And I'm going to figure it out, you know, maybe being a little bit of a detective, like, okay, if this hasn't been working, what else could work? Um, and then again, just honestly, just being open and honest with each other. I, I, it's so simple yet so powerful and necessary and important. I'll tell you, if, if somebody wants to reach out to you, I, I can't recommend this book enough. Uh, we only got to the skin, the surface, because it's a lot more depth in this story. And I like to leave it that way. So people will buy the book and, and be surprised when they turn the next page and find out all the different details about it. Lynn, thank you for sharing. I applaud you, your courage, your strength, your endurance, your resilience, uh, and then your courage to be able to come out into the world and from silence for quite a few years of saying, hey, this is my story, and I'm proud that I chose to survive. And uh, please get this book. Uh, it comes with the highest recommendation. And thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here with us as we do every show, every program. Uh, and Lynn, you said you haven't done many of these interviews. I'll tell you what, you did awesome tonight. Uh, and you can see the authenticity and the genuineness of you. To me, that's what is so important. It's not fake. It's real. This is me. And when you show that and you take that mask down, You've really let a lot of people in your world and you help a lot of people. So I'm looking. That's why my phone is vibrating off of my chair here. And we're going to get comments. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story tonight. I appreciate it. As we end every week, I always want to let you know.
that not only with our guests, but with me and all the people that we've had in the past for the past three years and the ones we're going to have in the future, that no matter what you've gone through in your past, no matter what's going to happen to you or the situation that you are in right now, I want to promise you, I promise you, there's hope. Never give up on that. Join us right here next week, and you will not believe the two guests that we have next week. It's a textbook of a book for teachers and how to deal with children and their anxiety and their stress. You will not want to miss that next week for another edition of Breaking the Silence right here, live from Houston, Texas. God bless. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.